welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is going to be an interesting episode because a lot of stuff is happening in the world with coronavirus. Coronavirus is impacting so many aspects of our business and our clients' businesses that it's making a lot of things really, really challenging in terms of analyzing what Google's doing and what's happening with the web. I'm going to give you a few of my thoughts in this episode on what's happening, um, but uh, just know that there's a lot of stuff going on that really, really is impacting pretty much every business in the world, I would think. Um, we're going to talk in this episode about uh, a possible update March 3rd to 7th, although this is hard to interpret in the eyes of what's happening with coronavirus. Um, and an interesting topic that I'm going to discuss near the end of this podcast. Here's a question for you. Let's say you redirect your site from uh, site A to site B, and site A has a security certificate. Do you need to keep that security certificate in place when you do the redirect? This is an interesting question. I'd like you to think about what your answer is to this. And by the end of the podcast episode, I'll give you um, my thoughts and the thoughts on what some people from Google have said in interesting discussion. Um, and lots more that we have to discuss in this episode. This episode is episode number 123, which corresponds with our newsletter, uh, same episode, number 123. You can find that at mariehaines.com newsletter, and you'll see all of the episodes there. I'm recording this on Wednesday, March 11th of 2020. So let's talk about coronavirus. I'm not going to go and explain the virus and stuff like that. Um, gosh, I've had a lot of experience with coronavirus in dogs, which is a fairly mild virus. It causes intestinal issues completely different than what people are seeing. Um, and this is, you know, serious stuff. My biggest concern, though, is what's happening not only in our industry, but in business worldwide. Um, I've been saying for the last few weeks that I'm really excited to go to Germany and SMX Munich. It was going to be my very first time at in Germany and so SMX Munich was canceled. Pretty much every conference that uh, I've heard of is canceled. I've, I've heard that uh, PubCon Florida is canceled. Uh, I was supposed to speak at a private conference in Orlando um, in a couple of weeks and that has been canceled as well. Uh, and then I started to think about the businesses around these places. Um, you know, the poor event organizers who are having to deal with people needing refunds. Um, you know, I managed to get one of my flights refunded, but another flight, it looks like I'm not going to get refunded. Uh, and the hotels. Uh, hotels are going to lose revenue. What about all of the restaurants that are around that area? Um, all of the, the, we have a client who, um, we have a couple of clients, I believe, actually, who are involved with trade shows. Uh, and, um, you know, obviously, if there are thousands and thousands of people not going to trade shows now, then their business is going to suffer as well. Um, and there are even other implications as well. Uh, I saw a tweet today by Joel Kletke. Uh, if you don't know Joel, he has a fantastic copywriting business. And one of the businesses that he has is uh, a Case Study Buddy, where um, you can hire them to put together case studies for you. And he said, this is his tweet, something I didn't anticipate, coronavirus impacting case study work. Some clients have customers primarily in healthcare. 
time for interviews is gone. Other companies, particularly enterprises, have shoved doing an interview for a success story way down the priority list. And this is the thing. So many businesses are just trying to figure out how to cope with the changes that are happening in the world. Um, we're located in Ottawa, in Canada, and we just found out today that Ottawa has had their first confirmed case of coronavirus. And instantly, uh, we also got the news that Shopify, which is based in Ottawa, uh, is telling all 5,000 of their employees to work remotely. So we're going to have a team discussion tomorrow to figure out whether we should be working remotely. I mean, we're a small team. We have 10 of us, but uh, there's concerns. And not necessarily for our health, uh, but we have family that, you know, most of us have family that are in the risk uh, section, meaning that uh, if you have older um, family members or immune compromised family members, even very young people, they're more susceptible to these viruses. And so I don't want to be spreading virus around, uh, you know, if there's something that we could do to avoid it. At the same time, though, you know, it has a great impact on uh, if we don't all come into work, meetings are not the same, uh, productivity is different. Um, and who knows, maybe this is a real boon eventually for the um, uh, remote industry. I, I, I think I mentioned this last week, but Zoom, uh, who makes video conferencing software, uh, has seen massive improvements in their stock. Um, we have some clients, we have quite a few clients in the financial industry, and most of these websites are doing quite well. Uh, one of our clients that writes spe specifically about the stock market is seeing massive gains in traffic as people are trying to figure out what's happening with the world right now. Um, the other thing that is really, really challenging is anybody who has uh, a website that's based on travel. Um, and so there was a great uh, article by Gianluca Fiorelli uh, who talks about the impact that the virus is having on the travel industry in Italy. If you're not aware, Italy is one of the areas of the world that is at this point dealing with significant outbreak of coronavirus. And so as such, very few people are wanting to travel to Italy or even able to travel to Italy. And so one of the things that he noted in his article was that um, not only uh, is there, are there fewer people traveling to Italy, but also the search results have changed. If you do a search, I did just before I recorded podcast, I did a search on mobile for uh, traveling to Italy and um, or travel to Italy, I believe it was, and all of the results until the very bottom of the first page are uh, news results, results about the virus, um, conversations about uh, whether or not you can travel, and then at the very bottom of the first page, there were two travel websites that talked about what to see in Italy. I would imagine that those travel websites are seeing horrendous losses in traffic at this point. Um, and so, with all of this in mind, we did note that it looks like something happened on Google's side between March 3rd and March 7th. Um, the majority of our clients are seeing some sort of change in traffic, either increase or decrease at this time. 
we didn't go into fantastic detail trying to figure out what changed because there's just so much turmoil and turbulence uh, in the world that it's hard to figure out. Is it Google? Um, a lot of these sites, when we look at Bing traffic, they have changed as well. And so I think these changes that we're seeing are more likely related to spikes in news about coronavirus. Um, I didn't look at this specifically, but I would imagine that around that time, we started getting uh, you know, a viral, no pun intended, but a viral spread of stories uh, about the virus. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think if you are seeing changes in your traffic patterns, then you really want to look at, uh, is there some way that this could be impacted by coronavirus? I talked in newsletter about how um, some of our clients are seeing massive increases that we can directly tie into coronavirus. Uh, one of the examples that we gave is somebody who sells medical supplies. Um, if you sell hand sanitizer or surgical masks or things like that, you're probably seeing a big increase in traffic. What's interesting is that um, so we have one client that has a post on hand sanitizer that's doing really well. And uh, so we isolated out all of the articles that talk about hand sanitizer uh, to see if the increase in traffic that they're seeing is just related to that one specific page. And it turns out that they have an increase in traffic across their whole site. Now, does that mean that a Google algorithm update impacted them? Not necessarily. It may be that this post that they wrote on hand sanitizer um, attracted links and it attracted attention. It got user engagement. Uh, and I mean, it's debatable whether Google is actually measuring user engagement, but um, the point that I'm trying to make here is that uh, the, the whole site saw an improvement in traffic and there's absolutely no way uh, that I can determine whether that was because of a Google algorithm update or not. So we do think that Google maybe made some type of a change around March 3rd. Uh, I should also mention that at the time of recording this, so this is March 11th, Barry Schwartz has just written that he believes something happened yesterday in terms of Google algorithm updates. Uh, you know, it's hard to say. This is a really, really challenging time. Uh, and really, uh, this issue of not being able to um, accurately do my job is, is very, very small compared to some of the struggles that people are going uh, facing around the world right now. So if you're in part of the world where you're really struggling with coronavirus, my heart really goes out to you. And, uh, you know, I think this is going to be a challenging time. My hope is that uh, the world figures out how to deal with this virus uh, in a short period of time. I've heard rumors that, uh, you know, people saying that it looks like it could be until next summer uh, before the virus peters out. Um, so hopefully that's not the case. This is, is going to be a very, very challenging time for many, many people. Um, moving on, which is kind of challenging because uh, I feel like all of this that we're talking about is just so trivial compared to some of the issues that, ha that are happening in the world. But uh, I do think, you know, the world goes on and we still have jobs to do for this point. So uh, I'm going to continue talking um, about uh, what Google is doing. So Google made an official announcement this week uh, about mobile-first indexing. They did mention in, uh, somebody picked it up in an email from Google last week that Google had said they're moving towards making 100% of the web mobile first indexed, um, not necessarily mobile friendly. A, a lot of people are confused about the two terms. You can be 
mobile first indexed and not be mobile friendly. Not recommended, but it is still a possibility. So you, if you have not been moved over to mobile first indexing, you really, really should be paying attention to this because if you've not been moved, there's a possibility that the reason you haven't been moved over is that Google has seen that it, there could be harm to your site, um, meaning that maybe you've got content that's only on desktop and Google's not going to see it if, uh, if it's seen on uh, just mobile. In newsletter, we've talked about uh, how you can determine whether you've been moved to mobile first indexing. And uh, so I won't go into more detail on that just now in podcast. I thought this was kind of cool. A Google Assistant can now read articles out loud on your browser. So you just say, hey, Google, read it. And um, apparently they'll read uh, the article for you. So I have a few long articles that I think I'm going to start listening to in my car ride. Um, and have Google read them to me, so I'll get even more SEO news. Let's see here, a Google SERP change. Uh, Brody Clark has told us that it looks like there is a real increase in um, in this video SERPs. I think it's a test, what he's talking about, uh, but um, there seems to be Google is doing more of these, oh, in this video, uh, and he, the way he said was wowzers, key moments, AKA in this video on steroids in this test. Uh, I haven't seen this personally, but if you are, seeing uh, that your SERPs are dominated by in this video results, um, you might want to consider doing more videos, uh, you know, and um, creating content that Google can pull out of videos. Uh, it's a possibility. I think, um, you know, I find myself, I'm actually uh, digesting more video content than I have in the past. And so this is probably something that is uh, a good area for most uh, websites to pay more attention to is, is video. We did have some discussion in newsletter about um, PDFs appearing in mobile search results and debated whether this was newsworthy. Uh, Google has told us before that they much prefer HTML content over PDF content. And then somebody tweeted that they're seeing PDFs on searches on mobile. But when I look, they were looking specifically for PDFs. A search was for credit cards PDF. Um, and they saw this PDF that popped up. So the reason why I'm mentioning it is if you do have PDFs that you want to display in search results, you might want to consider actually having an HTML version of that. Uh, Google has told us, I believe it was PubCon Florida of uh, last year, that they strongly prefer HTML over PDF. Google put out a new uh, training episode, and this one was on Search Console. I found the part on sitemaps uh, quite interesting. So um, in Search Console, uh, you know, you can see all sorts of information about your sitemaps. And what this video is telling us about is uh, whether or not you need a sitemap. So what the video from Google says is you should need a sitemap if you meet one of these three criteria. One, your site is really large. Two, you have pages that are isolated or not well linked to each other. Although I would argue that the better solution here is to work on your internal linking, not relying on uh, your sitemap to help Google find those pages. And three, your site is now or has a lot of uh, quickly changing content, like a news site. 
So does that mean that if you have a smaller website that you don't need a sitemap? In many cases, yes. Uh, there's nothing wrong with having a sitemap. There's really, uh, you know, provided you can keep it updated and it's not completely out of date. Uh, but a lot of sites don't necessarily need one. So uh, there's more information in the video if you wanted to, uh, to read that. A couple things here I'm just going to leave for newsletter. Um, uh, again, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. We have some interesting stuff on uh, advice around what to do with discontinued products if you have an e-commerce site um, and other uh, tips on improving your product pages as well. Let's talk about hreflang. Uh, hreflang can be really confusing for a lot of people. And Gary Eish from Google jumped into a Reddit thread that uh, was quite helpful. Uh, it was a discussion on um, what is required on Google's side in order for Google to recognize and honor hreflang tags. And I'm just going to read Gary's response here. Uh, generally, the hreflang annotations are picked up once all pages that you linked together with them are crawled and re-indexed or indexed. So if you have a topic in English and you have page A, B, and C for it that are targeting different languages and potentially countries, Google would have to crawl and re-index at least two pages for it to start to work and all three for the full effect. Your instinct to link together only topically relevant pages is spot on. Hreflang had the potential to help massively with having local pages show up for the right users, so I'd definitely give it a go. And he adds at the end, source, I worked on Google's Hreflang support implementation. So um, I guess the, the main point here is, and the interesting point, is that uh, you need to have all of your pages crawled uh, in the whole series of hreflang for it to work properly. Um, so if you're finding you've implemented hreflang and Google's just not honoring it, it might be that they haven't crawled all of the different versions. Um, and there's multiple ways you can get Google to do that. Uh, the best way is to have proper linking between pages. Um, the more you can link then uh, and, and sort of help Google to figure out what goes with what, um, then that will help to improve uh, their um, uh, honoring your hreflang. Um, this was an interesting tip from uh, Google Help Hangout just recently. Somebody was asking John Mueller, uh, the particular question was about a website that has this template that eventually, essentially makes it so that every single blog post has the same H1 tag. Now, uh, um, that's not really ideal. Uh, and what was really interesting, though, was John's response. He said, it's not terrible. But then he said, so the H1 heading gives us a little bit more information to kind of understand a page better. Now, he's said this before, too, where he's talked about how headings or H tags and don't get hung up on whether it's H1 or H2, uh, you know, some other version of an H tag. But the H tags help Google to understand the context of the page. And I do believe that this feeds into BERT. Uh, there's been some controversy over this. I think that now that Google is better able to understand the um, the context of a sentence, uh, just what words mean on a page, and they do this with the help of BERT, that um, 
it can they can look at the H tags on a page to better understand uh, whether it's relevant to somebody's query. So I hope to have some stuff out on this in the future. We're we're writing up some reports for some of our clients to just look at their H tags and um, and we're noticing that in a lot of cases there are pages that are outranking our clients. And when you look at just the H tags on those pages, uh, if I was a reader who was just skimming the the headings on a page it would be much more clear to me that that page that's currently ranking that has descriptive headings is uh, the better option. So I would encourage you to play around with your H tags uh, and just see, I'm not talking about playing around with whether they're H1 or H2. I, I know there was a study on Moz recently that Cyrus Shepard did that showed that there really wasn't much difference if they changed their H2 tags to H1, but rather I'm talking about the actual words in the H tag. Um, and you want to do something that just uh, communicates communicates to users that, hey, this is the information you're going to get from this article. Uh, so we're kind of just starting to do that with a few of our clients. And um, if you're interested in having us work with you on that, the first step is to have us do a site review for you. Um, and then we can uh, jump into um, doing more complicated things like that uh, if we think that it would help you and that it's, it's necessary. Um, I'm going to skip over that. Uh, the next uh, item here, we have stuff in newsletter about if you have adult content on your site, uh, if you have just a little bit of adult content, but a lot of people searching with adult queries, whether or not that'll affect uh, Google's assessment of quality for your site, you can find that in newsletter. Um, there's apparently some type of Google Analytics bug that's preventing people from switching between client accounts. We haven't had this happen for us. Uh, so it's hard to comment on, but I have seen a few people talking about this. Um, so if you're having some issues switching between client accounts in Google Analytics, it may not be you. It might be something on Google's side. Um, more discussion this week on uh, the fact that Google does not like you to have your search pages indexed. This used to be something that was commonly done because the idea was, like, let's say somebody came to my website and searched for some random long tail query like, I don't know, does the penguin algorithm um, do a good job at ignoring links from directory pages? I, you know, I know that that's a very long query and maybe somebody else in the world possibly will have this question at some point. And what people would do is make it so that every search result made its own page. And that way I could have a page that has that as the title. It's optimized for uh, does the penguin algorithm uh, ignore links from directories? And if anybody else was searching for that, it would be likely to rank well. The problem is that when people did that, you would have, I mean, depending on how many people searched on your website, you could have thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of pages, all optimized for some very, very specific long tail query. And that is not uh, recommended to do that. So if you have your search pages indexed, then um, this was what was interesting was John's response said that this could dilute your strategy. Those are John's words. Uh, that's, you know, I mean, the whole point is you shouldn't be indexing your search results, especially if you're trying to do it to get more searches. This can, um, John has said in the past that 
when Google determines quality for your website, they look at every page that's indexed. So um, it's my opinion that if you, you know, if 90% of your indexed pages are search results pages that very few people are ever going to click on, uh, then that can impact Google's assessment of quality for your entire site. Um, I think this is probably a part of the Panda algorithm, although I don't know that 100% for sure. Going back to Google Analytics problems, there are apparently a number of WordPress plugins that are having issues. Uh, one of them is the Google Analytics dashboard for WordPress by Exact Metrics. Uh, Yoast SEO apparently is having the same issue and Rank Math, although apparently Rank Math has fixed this. Um, I don't have the exact details. Uh, there's a really good article on search engine land that we've uh, talked about in newsletter as well. But if you're seeing wonky stuff go on with your Google Analytics and all of a sudden traffic just dies off completely, it may be a tracking issue as opposed to um, a ranking issue or a coronavirus issue, which again, so many things are just challenging at this, uh, at this time in our lives. Um, let's talk about this video from Google. Google did a video, a recent search for beginners video, episode nine. Uh, and They've done a video before that talks about how to hire an SEO. Uh, there was one, uh, Maylee O, I believe, um, did this video from Google, and uh, it was quite good. Um, and in the previous video, Google sort of said, well, hey, you could ask your SEO to somebody before you hire them to do a general overview of your site, uh, but you should pay them for that. This current video is getting some flack from SEOs because it seems to suggest that before a business hires an SEO, they should demand a full technical audit from the SEO. Um, here's, I'm going to read it out because lots of people have quoted this, uh, mentioned this in the video, but I haven't seen too many articles that have actually uh, discussed what words are in the video. So here's what it says. This is from Google. Step three is to request a technical and search audit. Before they actually modify anything on your website, have them conduct a technical and search audit to give you a prioritized list of what they think should be improved for SEO. In the audit, the SEO should prioritize suggested improvements. And it goes on to say, after interviews, reference checks, and technical audits, you should then be ready to evaluate your potential SEO experts. And so Google is really seriously saying that before you hire an SEO, you should ask them to do a free technical audit. I think we can all see the problem with this. If I'm, I mean, we're, we're very busy. We have a waiting list. Uh, even if you don't have a waiting list, you have client work that needs to get done, right? And so should you do a free technical audit? Now, I think part of the question is what actually constitutes a technical audit? If they're talking about like, hey, let's run your site through Screaming Frog uh, or through one of the tools, I, like Sitebulb gives a, you know, a, a very um, good list of like, oh, here's things that should be improved. Um, and it's, it's quite user friendly and it wouldn't take that long to crawl a site and give that list. But is that really helping anyone? I mean, even if it takes me 10 minutes to set up a crawl and then I come back to it a couple of hours later and I say, here you go, here's the things that need to be improved, you're going to have questions about that, right? And I don't think as an SEO, I should be required to answer all your questions when you may or may not hire me. Now, 
there are some SEOs that perhaps you're trying to get uh, more business. You know, maybe you don't have a waiting list. Maybe you are willing to do some work for free. That's cool. You know, if you if this is part of your business plan and you say, because I actually did this when I first started out. I did loads of consulting on uh, people's sites that I met in forums and they would say, hey, I think penguins affected my site. And I'd say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not uh, an SEO. I don't actually take clients at that time. Um, uh, but let me take a look at your analytics and see what I can find. And then, uh, you know, I started taking client work from that. If you're just starting out, I could see that being a valid way to, uh, to go ahead with things. The thing is, if you're a business owner and you want to hire an SEO with really good experience, uh, who has seen tons of problems and is really, really likely to help your site that has serious issues potentially, who do you want to hire? The person who's just starting out and has time to offer free audits or somebody who's in high demand? I, I just, I can't see this working um, and I'm not quite sure what Google is suggesting here. So uh, it's an interesting topic to, to, to talk about. Um, I think it's fine to offer maybe an audit at a reduced rate. Um, for people who want to decide whether they want to hire you. Uh, but I do not think we should be doing audits for free. Um, let's move on. We've got a few things on local SEO. I've mentioned in the past, we've connected with Sterling Sky. Um, that's Joy Hawkins company, uh, because they do way more local SEO work than we do. And so they've, uh, helped us to gather some of the local SEO tips. Um, one of the things, uh, that we've noted in newsletter is if your business is affected by coronavirus in terms of your opening hours, anything like that, uh, or whether or not the public can come visit you, Google My Business would like you to update your GMB profile. So that's uh, quite important. Um, there apparently was a little bit of an uptake, uh, an uptick on um, SERP variability uh, as of yesterday, Wednesday, March 10th. Uh, you know, my, maybe this is an algorithm update, but it's hard to say. So we're going to keep an eye, eye out uh, to let you know if there's more information there to pass on. If you are a car dealer, there are new things that you can do in Google My Business. Um, Google's updated its guidelines on how new car dealers can list their different brands on Google My Business. Previously, only one Google My Business listing was allowed for their sales side, and now dealers can have a listing for every new car brand that they have a contract with. So uh, that's quite interesting. We're not sure why it's uh, just rolled out to car dealers right now, because um, HVAC contractors, for example, you know, they might represent specific brands of, uh, you know, equipment and um, and so who knows, maybe this diversification is going to go across multiple industries. You might see that, uh, and that'll be more work for SEOs, right? If you've got to create more GMB listings, um, which who knows, might give you more chance to, uh, to rank locally for specific parts of your business. Um, if you run events, uh, my heart goes out to you. It's, it's been a challenging time and it's going to continue to be a challenging time. Um, know that, uh, it looks like Google maps has removed events, uh, from Google maps. Um, so, uh, the events section on Google maps, business listings appear to be removed. Um, events will show up in the knowledge panel, but if you click through to the maps result, they're removed from the events are removed from the listing. I would imagine that Google is doing this just because so many events are being canceled. And I think it's 
the last thing on these event managers' minds to update their event schema uh, for Google. And so um, rather than being inaccurate, I think they've just closed off events for now. So that's, that's quite interesting. Um, and one, uh, let's see here. I think we'll skip over that. There was some discussion, uh, this week on whether Google was manually reviewing images for Google, my business. Um, and the thing is, uh, Google was just sharing their existing policy where, um, the wording says that images are reviewed, uh, but it doesn't say that it's manual. And, uh, what the, policy says is that Google discourages the use of stock photography in your Google My Business uh, posts that you're using um, and images with too much text and there's other things like that too. So nothing's actually changed here as far as we can see, uh, but rather just be aware that Google does have some guidelines uh, in regards to what types of images you can use in GMB. Let's go back to the question I talked about at the top of the podcast episode. Should you redirect, uh, should a site that you redirect keep its SSL certificate? So here's the question. If you have two websites, site A and site B, and uh, you're, you want to redirect site A to site B, do you still need to keep the uh, security certificate, so basically the HTTPS, on site A, even if site B has one? And I, to be honest, I didn't know the answer to this. And there's a, a lot of discussion on Twitter. We've linked in newsletter to the full thread if you want to, um, you know, flesh this out some more. But here was John's response, uh, John Mueller. Browsers definitely need the certificate for HTTPS, even if you're just redirecting. Search engines can probably deal with it, but there's a chance the old URL is shown. Uh, but if there's a chance the old URL is shown to users, just keep the certificate live too. You can get certificates for free nowadays. Um, and so the discussion goes on uh, to, to talk about that. And I think the confusion is where does the security warning come up? It's, it's in the, the browser. And so you may get a message from Chrome saying uh, that this page is not secure. And you certainly don't want to have that. And users might actually see that warning as opposed to getting redirected to the right page. So this is something to keep in mind if you are redirecting a site. You really do want to keep that security certificate on both versions that you're redirecting. And I know this is a pain if you are redirecting. Uh, I, I think there was one example that said they had 39,000 different domains that they redirect. Um, and uh, the John said there's no way around that. That um, you know, if you don't keep that security certificate there, then uh, users could end up seeing a security warning as opposed to to um, actually getting the proper redirect that they expected. Um, Michael Karg had some good replies on Twitter. I'll read this out here. When a browser opens up a URL via HTTPS, it first checks the certificate. If that is okay, the browser looks at server response, which could be a 301, meaning it redirected, or something else. Um, in my opinion, some bots do not validate certificates and can see the 301 even when the certificate is invalid. Um, and then Dr. Pete from Moz asked, well, don't most of them still process the redirect or do they throw a warning? I'm honestly not completely sure. I thought I remembered the major browser still processed it. And Michael says, it can be tricky. If you do not enter HTTPS, the browser might try HTTP which usually does the 301 as well. 
I've seen browser warnings on Firefox and Chrome while a 301 was on HTTPS with an invalid certificate. So um, this is important. Uh, and so if you are redirecting and, you know, somebody asked John, well, how long do you keep the, uh, the certificate on this site? Does it have to be forever? And really he recommended, yes, that you keep it forever. So that's, uh, you know, that's quite interesting. I think that impacts uh, a great number of people. Um, and so now that security certificates can be obtained for free, uh, then, you know, it, why not? Um, the argument that some people would make is there's still arguments about whether a free security certificate is just as good as uh, one that's paid. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but if Google is suggesting that we just use the free certificates, I, I, I don't see why not. I feel like I've kind of gone a little bit out of my realm of expertise here. So feel free if, um, you know, if you have more information on this, feel free to tweet at me, uh, Marie underscore Haynes. And um, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So let's get to a couple of Q&A questions here. Uh, let's see here. This one was interesting. At first, I thought it was a really simple question, but it's not actually. Uh, how does a crawler scan a website? For example, if a crawler enters my homepage, what does it check first? The robots.txt file or sitemap? Or what is the general path a crawler follows? So I'm going to preface this by saying that um, I had to research to, to get the proper answer to this. Um, the first thing I wondered was, how often does Google actually look at our robots.txt file? So we know that for pages on our website, the, by far the, the most common way for Google to come to a page and crawl that page is when they're following a link. That's why it's called a spider because it, it, it spiders through different links that it finds and just goes from page to page, um, you know, depending on what the, the links are. But um, nobody's linking to their robots.txt, so how does Google find that? Um, and so we found some information from Google that says that Google generally caches your robots.txt file for up to one day. Um, and that's quite interesting. So I'm assuming, and this is something we could verify with log files. I'm sure many of you have done this. Uh, and I would encourage you, if you're interested in the answer to this question, to actually look at your log files um, to see you know, how often is Google crawling your robots.txt file. So they've told us that it tends to be every day, uh, or they'll cache the results results for up to a day. I would imagine for some larger sites uh, where Google deems necessary, they might uh, visit the robots.txt file many times in a day. Um, but anyways, at least once a day, it seems that Google looks at your robots.txt file. And the robots.txt uh, tells them which parts of the site they are and aren't allowed to crawl. Now, in terms of sitemap, the sitemap, in my understanding, is more for Google discovering your pages than recrawling them. Um, and so if you have pages that, you know, you're struggling to get indexed, you're struggling to get Google to crawl them, sometimes the solution is to put them in your sitemap. However, John recently said that if you are putting pages in your sitemap and you still can't get them indexed, it might not be the sitemap that is the issue. Uh, and we've been saying for a few weeks now that we feel that Google is uh, getting better at determining quality and determining usefulness even before a page gets indexed. So um, 
putting a page in your sitemap can help it get discovered, but it's not, in my understanding at least, it's not like having a page in your sitemap is going to cause Google to crawl that regularly. So what is the path a crawler follows? It's generally based on links. And so, you know, more people tend to link to your homepage than to other pages on your site usually. And so your homepage probably gets crawled often. And this is why we recommend that if you have important pages on your website, they should be prominently linked from your homepage because you know that Google's going to come back and visit that page regularly. And they'll say, oh, here's a new link. They follow that link to your new page. And then that page gets crawled off often as well. So the important thing to know here is that different sites and even different URLs, they get crawled at different rates. And uh, John has told us that it can be as long as six months before Google decides to go back and recrawl a page. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably answered that question. And I think we have time to do one more question here. Um, this was a, a question on Twitter. Uh, a forum users, okay, our forum allows users to register to contribute. This creates a profile page for the user. Most users won't fill out a profile, so thin content. Should we block all profile pages from search, even though some will have content? Um, so a lot of this, I'm going to give the SEO answer, it depends. But in the vast majority of cases, uh, I would say that you should not have profile pages in the index. Think about this. How often is somebody really going to want to land on a profile page of a forum user from their search results? Now, you have data on this. You should be able to, uh, you know, if your profile pages all have slash profile in the URL, you can go into Google Analytics and look at uh, behavior and uh, either land, yeah, landing pages is probably the best place to go, um, and look for uh, the the phrase um, profile in the URL. And you can see how many people are actually landing on these pages. Uh, and if the vast majority of these pages have nobody landing on them, then you know why would you want to have them indexed? Now, what if you have some pages that are really popular? Like let's say uh, somebody famous uses your forum and people consistently want to see that person's uh, profile page. Well, you can you know selectively decide which pages to index. It can be hard depending on what type of software you're using. Um, I worked with a client back in 2014 that was strongly hit with the Panda update. And one of the things that we noticed was that they had the vast majority, like I wanna say 80% of the pages that were in Google's index were very thin forum pages. And so we actually worked on a system and they had to work with their developer to, uh, to implement this. But the system basically said, um, if a forum post, we'll talk about profiles in a minute, if a forum post had no replies, it was no indexed. Um, if a forum post, they implemented a thumbs up and thumbs down uh, system. If a forum post had a lot of thumbs down, it probably was no indexed. Um, and they didn't actually index pages until they could see that there was obvious engagement. Uh, and so in this particular case, we also uh, had them work with their developers to completely no index all of their profile pages. And um, I, I wish I could show you a, an image on, um, uh, on podcast, but that's not possible. 
this the traffic that uh, improved with the next Panda update, they were up something like 150% improvement after no indexing all of the thin content. And this was the only thing we did for this site. So often it's hard to determine, you know, oh, was it the thin content work that actually helped? Uh, because, you know, we'll recommend many things to, to websites. Um, and in this particular case, actually thinning out what it is that we wanted to appear in search results made a, a very big difference. Um, I don't have the link handy, but I'm sure you can find this on a Google search. Brittany Muller talked about an experiment that Moz did. And Moz actually went through, and I believe what they did was they no-indexed the majority of their user profiles, but not all of them. I think they decided, so Moz has like community points and certain people have more points depending on how active they were in the community. And so their rationale was that more people would want to see their profiles uh, if they're more active in the community. And I, I may have these numbers wrong, but I believe they kept 20% of their profile pages and no indexed the other 80%. And at that time, that was the only test they were running, and they saw a very large increase in traffic. So I'd encourage you to find that study uh, because it, um, it, it really uh, showed me that um, no indexing forum content can be important uh, sometimes. So hopefully that helps. If you have a question that you want to ask me, I don't claim to have all of the answers, but it helps me because uh, I have to do research sometimes to find these answers. And sometimes what I do is I actually encourage my team to find the answers with me, and then we all learn as a result. So I really love when you ask questions. While you can tweet at me, by far the best way to ask a question is to go to the most recent episode of Search News you can use, or any of the episodes really, and uh, fill out the little form uh, that goes to our Q&A. And then in our next podcast, I'll do my best to answer that for you. Um, this is the part of the podcast I usually tell you about my travel schedule. So that part's over. <laughs> no travel for me for quite a while. I think my next scheduled uh, conference is in June in Toronto. Toronto. I sound like a non-Canadian. In Toronto. Um, with, uh, with Sterling Sky, actually. Uh, with Local U. That's what it is. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully the coronavirus fears are over by then, but we'll see what happens. Um, something I did want to announce is if you are a medical website, um, I've been talking a while now about this medical consensus white paper that we wrote. We've made that available to the public. Uh, it is for purchase, and so you can find that on our website. I think we've linked to it from newsletter as well. Uh, it's talking about scientific consensus and uh, a very clear way of figuring out whether your website has pages that contradict scientific consensus and whether Google might be seeing those as a sign of low trust. So uh, we've got a whole article on that that everybody can read for free. And then if you want the workbook and instructions on how we go through uh, and try to make a site uh, appear more in line with scientific consensus, then the white paper is available for purchase. So I really hope that wherever you are in the world, uh, your life is not turned upside down right now with all of this virus talk. Um, we'll see what happens over the weeks to come, and uh, we'll do our best to keep an eye on what's happening in terms of SEO, uh, but it's definitely a challenging time. So thanks again for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.